Welcome to the Fighting for Joy podcast. I'm your host, Jody Blick. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest online therapy provider, and I'm so grateful to partner with them this season. Since our son Jackson died, I have been in and out of counseling, wanting and really needing to learn more about grief and how to process all that we have gone through and really continue to experience as a result of his death. But even in continued grief, life still happens and there will always be things that I need help dealing with in this broken world. So a few weeks ago, I decided to go back into therapy and I'm currently meeting with a BetterHelp counselor once a week. Our sessions are on video and that works really well for me, but there are also options like phone calls or text messaging, various ways to get help when you need it. Maybe life has been a little harder for you lately too, and you think that counseling would help your fight for joy? If so, I would love for you to visit my personal link at betterhelp.com slash fighting for joy. Be sure to add the slash fighting for joy at the end for your listener discount to take effect. And if having a Christian counselor is important to you as it is for me, make sure you look for the faith-based counseling option. I've said it many times before, and I will continue to say it. Quality counseling is a worthy investment in your fight for joy. Okay, now let's get started with today's episode. I have been looking forward to introducing you to my new friend, Teresa Glantz. Teresa is a certified trauma recovery coach. She helps trauma survivors find hope through her faith-based coaching, and she also has a big heart for educating the church on trauma and on mental health. Teresa and I met through Instagram as we both work and share in the same online space of Christianity and hard things. And in the little amount of time that we have been connected, I've learned a lot from her, a lot about healing from trauma, a lot about mental health, a lot about hope in the midst of really, really hard things. And we both agree that it is possible to fight for joy and find it even when you've suffered through terrible things. It feels like such a privilege to introduce you, my Fighting for Joy community, to Teresa today. I'm so thankful she was willing to have this conversation with me, and I know you're going to be encouraged and helped by her story and by our powerful conversation about how to find joy, even if you have suffered through trauma. Well, welcome, Teresa. Thank you so much for your willingness to be a guest on the podcast and have this conversation today. Thank you. It is an honor to be here. I'm so glad that we were able to connect. And yeah, yeah. I heard your story and uh, follow your podcast and thought, oh, I'm going to have to connect with her. Yeah, well, and I, you know, even though we have sent some messages back and forth on social media and on the Marco Polo app, I mean, this is really our first conversation. And I just feel like we're going to get to know each other here today live on the podcast with, you know, a couple thousand people listening, no big deal. Sure. <laughs> um, but as I'm looking forward me to it. too. And when you sent me, you know, the message sharing a little bit about your story, I knew too, that you would be a good fit for the podcast. And I'm excited not only to chat with you and get to know you a little bit, but to introduce you and your work uh, to my listeners. Mm -hmm. I just, I know this is going to be a really rich hour. So thanks again for being here. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, let's start by having you introduce yourself. Just what are some things that you would like us to know about you? Yeah, so... um... I obviously, my name is Teresa Glantz. Uh, I live in Indiana with my husband. Um, we, my husband's a pastor and we've been in ministry for about 25 years now. Mm-hmm. I have two adult daughters who are married and we have three grandchildren who we adore. So like that. um, that's kind of what we're at now. 
I am also a certified trauma recovery coach, kind of a, a unique space to be in as a pastor's wife and a certified trauma recovery coach. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's the path the Lord has had me on. So um, it's been really exciting and difficult and hard, yeah. but good. All the things. Well, yeah. as we were leaving messages for each other, I don't remember if it was you or me that said something about the weird blessing of finding another person who's excited to talk about trauma. I mean, I, I hate <laughs> that we both have experience with it and are, are on the journey of continual healing from it. But mm-hmm. but it is true. We are excited to talk about this topic today, aren't we? Yes. And I I tell people all the time, Jesus and trauma, I can talk about them mm-hmm. all day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think when you're able to experience the kind of healing and hope and joy that you and I both have, even though mm-hmm. our circumstances haven't changed, we just can't help but want to share it with others. And we do get excited about the abundant and joy-filled life on the other side of the work. It's kind of the Second Corinthians 1 passage about sharing the help and comfort that we have received with, from God mm-hmm. with others. And and I think, I think that's one of the things that's connecting the two of us here, um, our desire to help others make progress and share the things that we have learned this far into our journey. So obviously, it's not the trauma that we're excited about, but the hope that no. is present in the trauma and the fact that we are never left without hope, no matter how hard our story is. Right. And, and I think the thing, you know, I work with mainly women who have went through trauma And a lot of times they come to me feeling like there is no hope. Mm -hmm. You know, they are lost. They, they think this is the life I have and I'll never get over it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's not about getting over it, right. It's about working through it and making peace with it. And that's, that's a, that's a challenge for a lot of people. And I understand that because I've been there. So, uh, but, but when we can give them hope, you know, I, I say, like, I love being a hope dealer, right? Mm-hmm. That I can, mm-hmm. I can deal out some hope and, and they can leave feeling like, oh, I might have found a path yeah. um, to help me heal. And there's nothing more beautiful when God does that for somebody. So for yeah. sure, for sure. And what a gift that you, you do have experience again, as hard as it is to have experience mm-hmm. in you know, being in a situation where you're wondering where the hope is, that is a gift to sit across from somebody who has been there and has, you know, fought for joy, fought for hope and has found it and is living in that hope. And so that's just a precious gift that you are giving with the people to the people Mm -hmm. that you are you're working with. And that's why I wanted to have you on. So but speaking of hard stories, um, let's dive into yours. I'm wondering just where you would like to start. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean, really, you have to kind of start at the beginning with my story, as in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my my trauma started very early in my life. Um, I my parents divorced when I was three years old, and um, we ended up my my two older brothers and myself ended up living with my dad, which is a little unique back then. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad remarried very soon after, and so we lived with my dad and my stepmom, my two older brothers, and we got to see our mom about every other weekend. Um, and, and the challenge of the home we grew up in, my father was an alcoholic, um, very mentally and verbally abusive to my brothers, to me, um, and very physically abusive to our stepmom, as well as our mom when she was there. Um, so there was a lot of violence in our home. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a very challenging home to grow up in. Um, you know, we, 
did the best we could, as do most, pe most people when they're living in an environment that's very difficult. You do the best you can to cope mm -hmm. with it. You create coping skills, some that are helpful, some that are not. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you try to just make your way through life because for me, the hope was if I can just get to the point that I graduate high school, mm -hmm. I can get out of here. Mm -hmm. You know, that was mm -hmm. that was the goal. Um, you know, lots of lots of um, times in my home where most of the time it felt very unsafe in my home. Mm -hmm. um, and if, if you could think about it, a kind of abuse that could happen, that happened in my home. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was really a hard environment to grow up in. Mm -hmm. And um, so early on in my life, I started, um, I was in seventh grade, I started drinking. Um, I was smoking cigarettes. I was smoking marijuana. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this was a, not only was this just kind of the culture I grew up in, but it was also a way to kind of cope with the pain I was experiencing from my home environment. Mm -hmm. um, my brothers were kind of doing the same thing. And, um, you know, we were getting by. Uh, I was in my senior year of high school. Um, my oldest brother, at that time, it was just myself, my oldest brother, and then my mom and dad, my, our middle brother had moved out already. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, again, we were trying to navigate the challenges of living at home and the violence we were seeing. Um, but my oldest brother, who he was my person, he was um, he stepped in and tried to be a father to me. Wow. Um, you know, like, where are you going? Who are you going to mm -hmm. be with? When mm -hmm. are you coming home? Yeah. I remember one time he said, hey, if they're doing cocaine or something, you need to call me. Mm. <laughs> I was like, OK, mm -hmm. you know, it was. It was his way of trying to parent me. Obviously, we did not grow up in a church home. Mm -hmm. um, our, my dad was actually anti-church, um, really wa wanted nothing to do with church and made it very clear he didn't want us to either. Mm -hmm. So um, my senior year of high school, I had come home from school and saw that my brother was home. And I was always excited to see him because he was my person. Right. And um, I came in and unfortunately found that he ended his life mm -hmm. and I found him. Mm -hmm. um, this would be my first really big trauma experience in my life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the difficulty of a suicide, um, it, it's so different because it is an intentional death by the person um, who did it, mm -hmm. um, you know, for whatever reason, that decision, you and I will never know, right? right. When someone ends their life, what their last moments were like. Right. Um, but the challenge, this became what we would call a complex trauma event because not only did my brother end his life, but I found him. Mm -hmm. And so while lots of eyes were on the suicide, nobody right. really noticed that I was dealing with significant PTSD. Right. Um, from finding him. So navigating the suicide itself was, was really difficult. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll be honest, 100% I blamed my father because mm -hmm. when you are told throughout your life that you are, you are nothing and you'll never be anything yeah. um, and that you're worthless and useless, you know, you, you hear that message enough at some point you have to make a decision. Right. I'm either going to pick that up and believe it or not. Right? Right, right. And, and I think the challenge, my oldest brother, he saw what way more than we did. He mm. experienced way more than mm. we did. Mm. Um, 
And I think it was just too much for him. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's an understanding of like, I kind of get it, but Mm -hmm. it was really hard. And when you drop a trauma like that in the midst of a family that has zero coping skills, Mm-hmm. it's not going to go well right I mean right we didn't we certainly didn't know how to navigate a loss like that and mm-hmm. so it was really really challenging to walk through the suicide but mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know after that um I, I I was like I said I was in my senior year I was had I was I had plans to go to Daytona Beach for my spring break Mm-hmm. And I, I decided I don't think I should go like this just feels like a lot. I don't think I should go. My friends encouraged me and I was like, fine, I'll go. And as God would have it, I met my husband in Daytona Beach mm-hmm. only four months after my brother ended his life. Oh, wow. And I know and um, met him in Florida. We lived three miles from each other. We kind of lived at we went to rival high schools. And um, so that was just really, when I look back, I just see God Mm -hmm. ushering me through that really hard time when I didn't even know God at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so Chris and I then started dating, got married. We had two little girls. And, um, you know, I remember this time in my life as I was, we were about five years into our marriage. And I remember thinking, we are going to replay the life I had if we don't do something different, yeah, you know, yeah. It's because, and by the way, that's really, really common. Yeah. We grow up in dysfunctional home environments and we just remake that same dysfunctional home environment. We, mm-hmm. we pack trauma is generational. Mm-hmm. It's often passed down through generations. And that's where I was headed. If I, if we didn't do something different. Mm-hmm. And so my husband always had a deep love for the Lord. It was sort of odd because he wasn't really following the Lord. We weren't going to church, but he loved the scriptures. And obviously God was wooing him the yeah. whole time. Yeah. And um, when we started to see that if we didn't do something different, our sweet little girls were going to have a difficult life. Mm-hmm. My husband said, I feel like we should go to church. And I was like, no, Lord, but mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to go to church. Cause again, I grew up in an environment where that was really hammered into us. That church was bad. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but my husband was, kind and was patient with me um as he prayed for me that that the lord would um get a hold of me mm-hmm. and um he started going trying to find churches and um came home one day and said i found this church we should go mm-hmm. i was very open to going and my intention like a lot of parents how about i get my kids involved in church so their life will be different right mm-hmm. we think the church is going to fix our kids mm-hmm. and really God was after me. Mm. He's like, when I get a hold of you, mm-hmm. that's what's going to change your kid's life. It's oh. you I'm after. Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, it it was incredible. So we started attending church, and I was probably a month and a half in, and I accepted the Lord. Mm. Um, I didn't really know what that meant, right? Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, I'll I'm going to do this because it felt I felt like. I felt like I had a lot of baggage. Mm-hmm. Life, things were really heavy for me. Um, I was still trying to navigate all of my past trauma right. um, the best that I could. I had no coping skills. Uh, mm-hmm. So accepted the Lord um, and realized early on, God said to me, you, we need to work through this thing with your dad because my hatred for my dad was mm-hmm. pretty deep. Mm-hmm. Um and so I thought, okay, I see that and I feel like I need to do that. And I did some work around forgiveness. 
for my dad. Now, I will say that um, that's what I was taught. You need to forgive and you need to try to move on from there, right? You need to forgive, lay it down and move on. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I did. I, I worked on forgiveness. I was able to have some really hard conversations with my dad. Uh, it didn't mean that he admitted anything or that he acknowledged he had done anything wrong, but but for me, it was part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did forgive my dad. And shortly thereafter, he passed away. So I was grateful that I had the opportunity to do that work in forgiving him. Yeah. Um, and then, so we'll fast forward quite a bit here through the story. But um, I, as we spent years in ministry, I could see that my trauma was still showing up for me. Yeah. But I didn't know how to really put my finger on it, right? I would be, if I came across a man who had an anger problem, I would be so triggered. It wasn't even funny. Like I could not handle being around men who had anger problems or who had severe drinking problems. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. There were a lot of things in my life that were triggering me. They were even showing up in our marriage um, as we were trying to navigate um, ministry because that in and of itself is a whole a uh, different challenge of trying to uh, navigate what it feels like to be in ministry. Mm-hmm. But um, along the way, we had we had made some moves. We had changed. We, you know, my husband pastored at um, let's see two other churches. We made a move down to Indiana, and again, I was just trying to muddle my way through. Still, I still had a lot of work to do, but I didn't know how what to do with that. Do you know? You, you, yeah, I would think. I would think maybe I need to read another book or I need to listen to another sermon or I need to do another Bible study, right? I was I was trying to figure out what is happening to me? What is this? Why am I still feeling like I have a weight on me that I can't get rid of? Right. Um, so 2018, my daughter buys me for Christmas an at-home DNA test mm-hmm. because I, I knew nothing about my ethnicity. My parents were both from Southern Kentucky um, and really, I knew nothing. Mm-hmm. I knew nothing. So I thought, oh, that, what a great present, right? I thought mm-hmm. that would be fun. Fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, this will be fun. I say it all the time. That sounds like that would be fun. Um, so I did what everybody does. We got it before. We celebrated Christmas a few weeks before Christmas. So I thought we wanted to hurry up. And she bought one for myself and my husband. And we wanted to hurry up and get it in and beat the Christmas rush. So mm-hmm. we get our results back faster. Um in January, I received an email that said it was ready, and uh, I was at the mall, and I opened it, and at the mall, I was walking through the mall, and I just clicked on the thing, and it opened up, and it said that I was 48% Italian, hmm. and I was like, what? Like, if you know Italians, they know they're Italian, right? They're, <laughs> right? And they're very proud of the fact that they're Italian, but I was thinking, that is weird. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to put it away. That makes no sense, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I could not focus trying to shop. So I came home, got on my computer, opened it, and began to do some poking around. And you can um, you can see the people that you connect with um, through DNA tests, right? Mm-hmm. I could see my mom's entire family. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like, oh, I know who that is. I know who that is, right? But then when I clicked on my biological father's side of the family, I didn't know anybody. Wow. So uh, everybody's name ended in a vowel, all these Italian names, mm-hmm. uh, and I did not know one of them. Wow. So I was like, I was like, what is this? I, it was very confusing. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, through lots of 
research and um, 10 days of literally not coming up for air because I was trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. Um, And some really challenging conversations Mm -hmm. with my mom. Mm -hmm. Um, Really what it came down to is the man that raised me, the man who all my trauma came from, he actually wasn't my biological father. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So that was, um, I, I say that was the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back. For sure. Um, that was the final trauma that took me out. Mm-hmm. And um, I say that. So I was 10 days in when I landed on who my biological father was. By the way, he had already passed away. So wow. he never knew I existed. Wow. Um, and my my birth certificate father, the man that raised me, was already gone. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was lots of challenges in that. But we were 10 days in when I figured out who it was. And I remember my husband was upstairs in our office and I walked up and I sat down and that was the first time I lost it, mm-hmm. just lost it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I want to say this, that the DNA surprise is considered a big T trauma. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it changes your life mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you one who you thought you were your whole life, you suddenly aren't. Mm-hmm. But I will say that my response to that was disproportionate to the trauma. Hmm. Um, yeah, it, it was disproportionate. I, I fell apart. Um, I, for the first time in my life, I began having panic attacks. Um, I had severe depression. Um, I was struggling with some suicide ideology, which is different than suicide, right? Suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts, they're mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. Um, suicide ideology is... I don't want to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. This is this is too hard to walk through. It um, suicidal thoughts are you have a plan and you are planning on ending your life, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's not what I was struggling with. I was struggling with I just don't know if I can keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I would have days where I would wake up in the morning and I would ask God, um, or actually I would tell the Lord, "Hey, today's going to be a good day, Lord." Um, I'm going to get through this day. I'm not going to cry. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to stay all day. Um, and it's going to be great. And I just need you to walk with me through today. Right. I wouldn't be out of the shower time crying already. Hmm. And I was like, I had no language for what was happening to me. Yeah. And I told my husband, um, I said, I feel like I need to go away. Hmm. And he kept saying, what do you mean? I said, I think I need to go to, a retreat center or something. This is not normal. Like Mm -hmm. I am, I am struggling way deeper than I ever imagined I would struggle. And, um, you know, we were both trying to figure out what was happening to me. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I was, I was doing all the things, you know, my initial response I should say was I turned to the church. When I say the church, I mean the people I knew from church, right. The people Mm -hmm. who were, fiercely chasing after God. And I knew they deeply loved Jesus. And I, I was asking them to help me. Mm-hmm. And truth be told, they didn't have the tools to help me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I want you to hear me say this because I say it very gently, but they would say things to me like, are you praying about it? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I would think to myself, am I praying about it? I can't even think straight. Yeah. I can't yeah. even quiet my mind. I can't, I can't, I can't, like, there's something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I was trying to tell them that. They would say, are you reading scripture? No. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I'm actually not. Right. Right. <laughs> I can't I can't even pick up the Bible. Yeah. You know, I it yeah. felt way deeper. And as I tried to turn to the church and ask for help, I realized this was different. Hmm. Um and I was experiencing something that I didn't have language for and neither did they. Mm-hmm. Um I I was do I was reading every book I could find on trauma. I was um we took a trip to Israel and uh, the funny thing about the trip, uh, my husband came home one day and said, Hey, our church is going to Israel and I'd like to go. And I was like, no, no, I can't go to Israel. There's no way. And so finally with enough of him saying he really wanted to go. And I, I was like, okay, fine. We'll go. Cause I thought that's a couple months out. I'll be fine by then. Mm-hmm. I was, I was not fine by then. Um, you know, I, my biggest fear was getting on a plane for 15 hours when you're struggling with panic attacks. Right, right. Um, th- that's scary. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I did end up going to my doctor and saying, I need help. Like, I have to get on a plane for 15 hours and I can't stop crying. Mm-hmm. Do you have a pill to help me stop crying? I mean, right. that's, that's how I was feeling. Yeah. Um, luckily, the trip was, um, the trip was fine. You know, hindsight, I look back and think, boy, I wish I wasn't in the place I was in. I could have enjoyed the trip more. But God met me in some of the most Mm. amazing ways while I was in Israel. Mm. And I'm not trying to say God is more powerful in Israel than he is here in the United States. But, um, you know, it was just a a journey that I was on as I was seeking after God. And yet I had never felt more broken in my life. Mm Well, and sometimes just getting outside of our home, getting outside of yes. our, I mean, I remember a couple of times too, where we would leave town to go somewhere for a weekend and mm-hmm. we did experience the Lord in different ways and experienced a new kind of comfort and processing and just kind of getting away, you know, can sometimes help that too. Yes. For sure. and, and, and that definitely played a role just, just being away and, mm-hmm. um, you know, Israel is just it's fascinating. It was wonderful to be over there. Mm-hmm. But I asked God when we when we went there, um, I said, Lord, if you heal me over there, I will tell everybody. Hmm. I will tell the world what you did. Mm-hmm. And you know, that wasn't going to be my journey. Mm-hmm. God wasn't going to heal me overnight, like, like we all want, right? Mm-hmm. We, I remember we were sitting in Capernaum and I was, I love the story of the woman with the issue of blood. Mm-hmm. And I love her perseverance and her willingness to not give up. You know, she fought for 12 years mm-hmm. to try to heal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we were sitting in Capernaum, and I remember just tears rolling down my face as I said, Lord, I, I just want just one touch mm-hmm. of the hem of your garment, and you could heal me. Mm-hmm. I, I begged God to heal me in Israel, mm-hmm. and that just wasn't going to be my story. Mm-hmm. And when we got home, we touched down in Chicago, and I remember the Lord saying to me, you're one step closer, but you're not there yet. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, you yeah, know, unfortunately, I'm not, because I'm not like anyone. I mean, I'm like everybody else who, when we're hurting, we'd really like that to go away. Mm-hmm. And we are a culture of, we want it fast, right? I yeah. want yeah. whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes for you to heal me. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know is that God was setting me on a journey to understand more about myself, about the way he created us, hmm. um, that I could sit across from hundreds of women and help them heal. 
but that wasn't going to happen if God healed me overnight. Wow. It, it yeah. just wasn't. I love that you shared that, Teresa, because I think so often we only hear the stories of God answering those kinds of prayers in the way that we pray them, right? I mean, we very yes. rarely hear somebody share like, this is what I prayed and I was ready to just, you know, give the rest of my life to, you know, sharing this story of God healing me in Israel and he didn't answer it that way. You know, that's, that is, um, in a weird way, that is more hopeful, I think, for a lot of times for us to to hear, because we're reminded that, like you said, God is hearing us, He is seeing us, He is answering us. It's just differently. It's just in a different way than what than what we had wanted or hoped for or asked for. And I think our culture, for sure, you know, makes us just want everything quick and now and easy. And so I'm yeah. thankful that you shared, you know, that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think sometimes we want, we want the drive-through prayer, right? I want to pull sure. up, I want to order my prayer and then pick it up and move on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, where's my healing Lord? I ask you for it. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Well, before we do get to a little bit more of the healing and what God has yeah. done, let's unpack just a couple things, because I think, you know, as I was hearing you share just first about your brother, you know, mm -hmm. I think sibling loss is just not addressed as much as it should be. I mean, yes, it mm -hmm. is absolutely horrific losing a child. And I'm so grateful for the compassion and empathy that people have shown me as I have dealt with the loss sure. of Jackson. But also I have been just broken hearted over the devastation my three living children have experienced from losing their brother. And for you to say like he was your person, mm -hmm. that is such a humongous loss. I mean, not only like you said, just the complex nature of that trauma of his death, of you mm -hmm. finding him, of losing your person. Um, that is so um, complicated. And for you to be a senior in high school and not have any sort of tools or guidance, um, that that is um it, you know when people say kids are resilient i've always hated that but mm. i think there is some truth to that i mean i think like you said you were able to kind of figure out right just how to get through how to get to florida for <laughs> spring break yeah. and move yeah. forward um it's a, it's amazing like that feels miraculous to me that you were able to even function after that oh it, you know, the strange thing, I think, I hate to say that um, when I when I was having my breakdown, somebody said to me, um, we had went to lunch, she sat across from me, she said, well, you know what they say, adversity builds resilience. And I remember thinking to her or thinking to myself, that doesn't feel good. No, right. That doesn't, that doesn't feel good that adversity builds resilience. Um, but truthfully, when you grow up in a home like I did, mm -hmm. um, the the goal is to just keep going, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. and that's really the coping mechanism I had when my brother took his own life. Um, mm -hmm. We were dealing with the the reality that um, I felt like we had just been exposed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The like, oh, now everybody's going to know how hard it is. When truthfully, anybody that came, that knew us knew our home was difficult. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I don't know that they knew to the degree in which it was difficult, but they knew that. So mm -hmm. um, trying to just muddle my way through it, I, I had one of the most challenging things after his death was the PTSD. Right. And um, I could not, if I came home and the door was locked, 
I would not go in. Mm-hmm. I had a key, but I wouldn't go in. I would knock if nobody was home. I would just leave. I wasn't going to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled. Uh, I had to sleep. I was a senior in high school. I had to sleep with my light on and my door open all night. Mm-hmm. And my the, it was frustrating to the people in my home. Like, do we have to have your light on? Yes. Do not turn my light off. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled closing my eyes in the shower. I struggled opening the door mm-hmm. to leave the, the bathroom after I had taken a shower. Um mm-hmm. I had a lot of PTSD. I didn't know it was PTSD and no one around me knew, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, you're just afraid. Well, no, it's actually PTSD struggling from that. Um, so trying to navigate that and then the loss of my brother. I mean, we are, this was an 85. This was a long time mm-hmm, ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, that day never passes without me grieving. Right. Yeah. I mean, we're 30 yeah. plus years into this mm-hmm. and it's still heavy. It's still really hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what I know now is that um, I make room for the grief. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I, um, I will, I will be really intentional if I feel like I have to grieve that day. I'm just going to mark it off on my calendar yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. I, and I'm going to grieve because what I know is that the grief process, uh, if we avoid it, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. But but when we sit with it, when we allow ourselves to cry mm-hmm. and grieve, there's healing in that. For and so, sure. you know, this this was my brother, yeah. and I miss him all the time, and I think about him all the time. And um, mm-hmm. suicide is not part of my story, mm-hmm. and and I wish that on nobody. Um, yeah. But you know, n- not that I would ever make light of any any loss in someone's life, but I have seen God turn beauty from ashes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, I don't say that lightly because that can feel minimizing and that's not at all what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's the God we serve yeah, yeah. and he will purpose that for us mm-hmm. if we, if we allow him space to do that in the way that he wants to. For sure. For sure. And that's part of the hope of us sharing our stories is to communicate that to someone who may only be seeing the ashes right now. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think the other thing that jumped out to me as you were sharing about the home you grew up in and all of the abuse is just, you know, how, um, how an abusive home, how words, negative words spoken over you shape a little heart and a little mind and Mm. really even your identity and just, um, what a struggle that must have been to fight that. Like you said, with your brother trying to, you know, just decide, okay, well, am I going to succumb to this and all of these words Mm -hmm. that are being spoken over me, or am I going to battle them and fight them and and find my identity somewhere else and not believe all of these lies. And, um, but that is, I mean, words are so powerful and impactful on, um, on our lives Mm. and they shape our identity, um, from a very young age. And like you said, even just having your parents divorce at the age of three, I mean that right there just kind of changes your identity of what Mm -hmm. kind of a home you come from and who you are under the care of. And then when you talked about the hatred for your dad too, and just like the work that you knew you needed to do around forgiveness, you knew you needed Mm -hmm. to try to move on. But I don't think a lot of times we have the practical steps. Like we know we're supposed to forgive. We know we want to heal. We know we should be doing the trauma work. How? You know? So that's why I'm so excited that you are here and are willing to share some of the work that you're doing and your experience in it as well with your own story. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we, um, 
we know that we need to do this work. We a lot of times just don't know how. And, mm-hmm. you know, your world falling apart again with your DNA test um, and then not having the closure ever with either your dad or your biological father. Um, and then all of the triggers, like you said, of just different things happening and the the mental breakdown um, that you ended up having. I guess that's where I would like to go next is just like you said, you did you did go to the church um, to try to find help. I believe as a, you know, a Christian community, a lot of times we just are very ill-equipped. We do not have mm-hmm. the language um, or the training or even the intentionality um, within the church or within Christian settings to um, to be a help. I just feel like mental health is not normalized at all. Um, sometimes I think, sadly, it's not even believed. Um, no you know, not understood. So I'm just, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit just more about, um, you know, maybe what you experienced as a Christian suffering through a mental health crisis and just, you know, whether that was shame, whether that was just isolation, feeling alone. Um, you know, you kind of shared a little bit about some of the the things that people were saying to you that weren't helpful. Mm-hmm. What would be helpful? Like how can the church love people better when they are struggling mm-hmm. with their mental health? Oh, that is a great question. Um, and really, it's it's why I do the work I do. Um, you know, I think that as a as a culture, as Christians, we don't we really don't know what to do with people who are broken, mm-hmm. right? Who feel broken, right? Um, and what happened? What I found very interesting as I was trying to walk through my own crisis that I was having. I remember one time we were standing in the foyer in church and a lady said to me, I do have a question for you. And she said, do you feel like you have some unrepentant sin in your life? Mm, Ouch. And I, I remember thinking, well, I'm about to, (laughs) Uh, you know, I was like, and, and can I tell you when I got in my car, I wept, I wept like a baby Yeah, because it's a very shaming statement. Yes. And basically, basically what I felt like people were saying to me was, hey, I don't think you're working hard enough for God to see you. Mm-hmm. You're not praying hard enough. You're not reading enough scripture. You're not repenting enough. You're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. Do more. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I go, hold on. Yeah. Hold on. That is contrary to what we what you see in the scriptures for right? sure i don't i don't have to work harder for god to see me breaking down i don't no, no. and we have me. examples too and of job you know just and his situation yes. i mean it, it was not because he had some unrepentant sin in his life it's the same thing with the man born blind you know and people saying why and so you know when i think about when i'm working with people when i have a speaking event when we're talking about how do i how do we help people that are hurting in the church. It's so simple. It really is. Um, we first have to understand that people don't need a savior mm-hmm. who are in the church because they probably already have one, right? They, mm-hmm. Jesus is our savior. And unfortunately, we feel like we need to deliver the correct scripture for them to feel better. Mm-hmm. We need to not make them cry or let them cry. Um, you know, we need to give them advice Here's the things you need to do more of so that you can feel better. And none of those things are helpful. Um, I remember a quick kind of side story here. Uh, When I was going through um, learning about trauma, uh, I remember 
entering into the space where they were talking about holding space for somebody. Mm. And I remember thinking, what does that mean, hold space for someone? And literally what holding space means that you are in a conversation with somebody and you're listening and you are in no way trying to impact the outcome of that conversation. Hmm. No, you're not trying to impact the outcome. Hmm. And so um, I, during this time, my daughter was struggling with some infertility and she had had a few miscarriages and that was a really hard time for our family. But we were on a date that would have been the delivery date hmm. of one of her miscarriages. Hmm. And I knew that. And um, I reached out to her and I said, hey, did you want to go for a walk today? Meet me. We have this beautiful park. It's got tons of woods. I said, you want to meet over there and go for a walk? And she said, yeah, I'd really like that. And as I was driving over there, I was saying, Lord, there is nothing in me that wants to do this with her today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be in her trauma with her today because it's hard for me as her mom to see her go through that. Yeah. So we got over to the park and we walked and I kept thinking, in no way am I to in, influence the outcome of this conversation. Mm-hmm. I am going to hold space for her. We talked about um, what it would have been like had she given birth that day, what the baby might have been like. I let her just grieve. And can I tell you, I so badly wanted to say to her, I just want you to know that baby's with Jesus and you'll see it again someday. Mm-hmm. But I didn't say that. Mm-hmm. I never said it. Mm-hmm. That's Mm -hmm. not what she needed from me that day. No, What she needed was for me just to hold that space for her. And after we got in the car, we cried as we walked. I mean, we we both cried and talked and I got in the car and I was just, I felt like I had just carried a, a, you know, massive brick with me the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I got in the car and um, just cried. And when I got home, she sent me a text and she said, I'm not sure you'll ever understand what that meant to me. Wow. And and I thought, that's what we need to do with people. It is. We don't need to fix them. It is. No, you're but, right. You're right. When we are suffering, you know, whether that's physical or emotional or spiritual or mental, mm-hmm. I mean, we just, we need somebody to, I love that phrase, you know, the the holding space. We need people to come yes. and hold space. We just want to be seen and to have our our suffering acknowledged and validated and to have somebody just say, this is so hard because I think, you know, that even with a strong Christian faith, you know, the hard things in this broken world still hurt. I mean, faith doesn't make us feel the pain any less. So, you know, that's just a message I want to continue to share is that we do need to provide space for people to feel all the things and, and to hurt because that doesn't show a lack of faith, a lack of prayer, a lack of devotional time. Even if people are struggling to do those things, that is not why they're hurting. They're hurting because this is real pain, real trauma, real hard stuff in this broken world that we have to work through. It's so true. And unfortunately, what we do is we want to come in and we want to kind of combat that form, right? We want to say, hey, we want to we want to give them truths. We want to give them biblical truths that they shouldn't feel like that. Know that yeah, I could have said all those things to her on that walk. Yeah. You know, listen, that baby's with Jesus. And that's not what she needed in that moment. Because what I found in my own journey, and I'm sure you have may have experienced it as you've walked through your journey, is that when people start to do that to us, mm-hmm. we start to explain it differently. Because um, over explaining is a trauma response. So mm-hmm. basically, 
I would start to tell my DNA story and someone would say, say, well, I mean, hey, he's still your dad, though. And I'd be like, no, he actually isn't my dad. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, really, he is still your dad, though. He's Mm -hmm. the one that raised you, right? Mm -hmm. So I would kind of get in an argument with them. And what I would do is I would try to rephrase it Mm -hmm. in a different way so they might be able to receive it. Yeah. Well, every time they would push it back on me, I would rephrase it, right? So I would, I, it took a lot of energy to kind of have those debates with people. Yeah. But when we hold space for someone, there's none of that happening. Yeah. We're just listening. Yeah. And we're saying things like, I can see this is really hard for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm really sorry you went through that. It's, that's it. We don't have to argue with them. We don't need to fix them. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. because we want to be heard. Yeah. That's just human nature. We yeah. want to be heard and we want to be understood. Right. 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 We don't want to feel broken. Mm-hmm. No. And <laughs> I, I do, do remember, I remember story instances where I felt like I had to turn my, I had to shift my attention to the other person and try to figure out a way to explain it to, for them yeah. instead of just 100%. sharing from my heart. And then the opposite. I mean, I remember the people that just, I, I've gone back to and been like, I am so sorry. I don't know what I even said or how I, but you, you just were such a good listener in that moment. And you just, Mm -hmm. you held space. That's the perfect way to say it, Tracy. They held space for me. So, yeah. And I think, you know, when people have asked me too, like, what do I need to say? What, what's a verse I could text somebody that's, you know, Mm -hmm. and I always just say, you know, they probably already know where to go for all of that. (laughs) You know, I mean, but if you want to, a lament Psalm would be great. Like, do not send them something that is, you know, kind of a happy clappy, the Lord is good in this right now. I mean, yeah, yes. it's, it's, there's, there's great passages, great verses, great parts of mm-hmm. scripture to point them to now that will help their pain to be acknowledged. Yes. And I've, I've said in the midst of somebody, if, if you're having a dialogue in the foyer at church and somebody's sharing a really difficult story or, or a journey that they're on, Mm-hmm. that's not the time to do that, right? I, I tell people, just listen, encourage, um, tell them, I see you, I hear you, I'm sorry you're going through that. And maybe later that day, or maybe the next day, you say, hey, I've just, I've been thinking about our conversation, I just thought this might be helpful, and mm-hmm. send along a scripture. Yeah. But yeah. but in those moments, those are sacred moments for yeah. people. Yeah. And, sure. and just hold that space so they can grieve and they can feel seen and heard in those moments. They're, that's so important for us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, all that you have shared has now led you into trauma work and helping other people with their difficult stories. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to share a little bit. What does that look like? What kind of work are you doing around this now? And how are you able to help people focus on trauma healing with a faith perspective. Just, I would love for you to hear a little bit about what you've learned about the ways that God has made our bodies and our mind and how we're holistically affected by trauma and just what your work looks like with people. Sure. So through my journey, um, I took a course in trauma to try to understand a little bit better what trauma looked like. And, and as the Lord would have it, he said, I want you to be a coach. And I was like, yeah, I don't want to be a coach. That's not, I was like, Lord, that's not really my personality for it. I'm trying to tell God. And he's like, no, 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 you're going to do this. So so I did. I launched a coaching business and um, the floodgates opened. It was pretty unbelievable what happened. Um, and I've had the opportunity to sit across from women, um, primarily women, and talk 
through their own trauma journey and help them understand that trauma is not just in your mind, mm-hmm. right? So trauma is often a memory. Uh, almost all, not all of our trauma, but most of it is interpersonal trauma. A lot of us are wounded in relationship, right? Um, not not all trauma comes that way, but a lot a lot of it does. And mm-hmm. so helping people to understand when we've experienced any kind of trauma event, um, we can try to let go and let God, right? All these sayings that we hear, mm-hmm. and we can try to push past it and get past it and hope that time will help heal that. We'll just, you know, no surprise to you, time, that's not time's job. Time right. doesn't heal our wounds. Right. Um, so our bodies store trauma. It's fascinating when you begin to understand. And really that's what happened to me when I had my breakdown. All those years of trauma that I had experienced, my body remembered those traumas. Hmm. It wasn't just my mind that remembered them. Right. When we are triggered, trigger when we're triggered, that is often... Um, what they call somatic experience. It's an experience that we have no control over. It happens so fast Mm -hmm. that we don't even know what just happened. Um, That's because our bodies think something traumatic is going to happen again and we we go into a triggered state. And so um, I heard Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book, The Body Keeps the Score, one of the Mm -hmm. first uh, books on how trauma is held in the body. Um, He was talking about how people who've had childhood trauma and think they've moved past it will often have a re-traumatizing event Hmm. that will pull the rug out from under them. Hmm. And that, that was me. Mm -hmm. Um, That's what happened to me. It wasn't that the DNA took me out. It was the fact that the DNA story coupled with all the other trauma is ultimately what led to my breakdown. Hmm. And so when when we feel like we've done work around our trauma and we say that work is forgiveness, um, I, I would say there's probably more work to do. And, and I, I want you to hear me say forgiveness is certainly part of it, mm-hmm. um, you know, but along with forgiveness, I mean, we know we can't get around forgiveness. That's in scripture and God makes it very clear. Um, that is an act of the will. It's a decision that we make to forgive somebody and, and not hold them accountable for what they've done. We also have to learn how to live with what happened to us. Mm-hmm. The forgiveness doesn't take that away. Mm-hmm. If I forgive, does that mean that I will no longer remember? Does that mean my body will no longer respond to trauma in my life? No, mm-hmm. that's not what it means because we have to learn how to live with what happened to us. Yeah. And how, how do I learn that, you know, for you and I, who've had some pretty big T trauma events in our life. Um, there are things that will still trigger us. There mm-hmm. are things that will still come up for us. Mm-hmm. How do I sit with that and learn how to let God heal that? And part of that is working with somebody who's been trauma trained. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I had seen it. Thankfully I got in with the therapist. So I started having my breakdown first time in my life. I'd ever been in therapy. I should have been in therapy many years before, but, um, you know, she was able to take me so far. And then it was the understanding of trauma and the education that I got that took me the rest of the way. And it's the thing I use when I'm working with women is helping them understand how God created us. Hmm. God created us for survival, Hmm. right? He, he put us here for survival and that survival, we have a survival technique, a tactic in our body that, um, we will respond to events when our thinking brain isn't involved. It's a somatic, it's a bodied experience that we have. And so 
learning about that was really fascinating to me. And we see it play out in scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I think you and I briefly talked about regulation, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, you know, regulation is the place um, where we're not dysregulated. So we are feeling peaceful and calm and safe when we're regulated. And I always tell people when I'm working with them, have you ever sat in the presence of God? Um, the moment where you're sitting and you just feel like God just showed up, right? And, and you think, I don't want to move. I don't want to do anything because I this feels so safe, right? Mm-hmm. The, the very presence of Jesus is what it feels like to stay in a regulated state. Mm-hmm. We feel safe. We feel secure in those moments. Uh, we we feel joy, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we feel in those moments when we're regulated. Mm-hmm. And learning how to get from a dysregulated state to a regulated state is some of the most fascinating work I've done around that, which is, you know, the study of the nervous system. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, that to me has been one of the most meaningful things because when I had my breakdown, I was in a pervasive state of dysregulation. Mm-hmm. That's why I was having panic attacks. That's why I couldn't sleep at night. That's why I was crying all the time, racing thoughts, all of that. Um, I felt broken. And truthfully, I wasn't broken at all. Hmm. I was just responding to my trauma. Right, right. That's very hopeful to hear that because I think people do feel like I am so broken. I'm beyond hope. There is no way that my story, you know, will have any sort of healing and and positive um, result. I, it's just I'm hopeless. This situation is hopeless, kind of like we talked about at the very beginning. And I think mm-hmm. what you're sharing now, you know, just this even just the practical, um, you know, the practical way of of learning about regulation and um, coming out of dysregulation into regu- being regulated and safe and secure um, is very hopeful. And I think that, mm. you know, it's comforting to be able to run to the God who created us, right? Like knowing he's yes. not surprised, he's not saying, Oh, that one's broken, right? Like, or, or I'm per- super frustrated with that one, because they're not able to figure this all out. I mean, he like, understands exactly. our suffering and and grief and the impacts of our trauma better than anybody, because he made us this way. And he knows the mm-hmm. world is broken. And I just love reminding people that we don't need to try to get our act together and then approach God. We can just fall into his arms, confident that we are fully known and understood and loved. And that brings a peace and a comfort and a hope and a healing that nothing else in this world can even come close to offering, I think. It's, It's so true. And if we could see, you know, when I was in my darkest moments, I... I knew God was with me. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't take away my dark moments. Yeah. It didn't make it that my I wasn't struggling. I was still struggling, mm-hmm. but I was struggling with God. I knew God was with me through that. And you know, I, I, any time I sensed God was with me, I would ask Him to heal me. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm human, right? I'm human, yeah. and and I didn't like what was happening to me. I didn't like that my adult daughters were watching me have a breakdown. Mm-hmm. That was very hard. Um, what I didn't know is they would see me get back up again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they would see me um, purpose my pain. Yeah. And, um, you know, so now they'll go the rest of their lives knowing if they fall, it's okay. They can get, they can get back up. It's not over yeah. just because we fall. Yeah. Right? 
Boy, that is, I mean, that is so true and so hard. I mean, Mm -hmm. I just, I think that is one of the things that I hear a lot from listeners and a continual suggestion for the podcast is just how do we, how do we help our kids through grief and trauma or how do we deal with Mm -hmm. the effects of us going through grief and trauma and how that Mm -hmm. has trickle effects on them? Like as, as parents, our hearts are so big for our kids and Mm -hmm. we hate when they are hurting. We hate when our you know, our life story or our brokenness affects them. Um, yes. But I, I just, I love that. I love the idea of, you know, by doing the work ourselves, by focusing on ourselves and running to the Lord and, and, um, and doing this hard work, they are seeing, they will see the, they will see the example first of all, but then they will experience the fruit of that as well. Yes. I mean, and when we, when we do the work we need to do for our own healing, we begin to heal people around us just because we know so much, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I have said the people in my immediate community, mm-hmm. the word trauma is a word they use a lot now because they understand it. That would be my husband, my daughters, my son-in-laws, my friends, right? Um, yeah. This thing just trickles out because um, it's sort of like when I first accepted Jesus and wanted to tell the world, the same is true when I go, listen, you need to understand how God made you mm-hmm. and um, helping my daughters navigate their own journeys. Mm-hmm. And I can be like, hey, and and, and like yourself, I mean, I, I say like yourself, I'm assuming we're not perfect moms. We've right. made mistakes as moms. Mm-hmm. And, but the beauty is when we do our work and we begin to heal our own trauma, we can go back and make it right with our kids, right? Mm-hmm. Things that we've done wrong, mistakes we've made along the way. Um, we can correct those. It's never too late. That's it's a powerful never too message. Late. I have worked with women well into their seventies. It's never too late. Wow. wow. It's never too late to heal our trauma and to help heal trauma around us. Yeah. So that yeah. is very, very hopeful because I, you know, I know personally, like when I was in the deepest parts of my grief, I wasn't able to be there for my kids in the ways that I wanted to. I mean, I don't feel a lot of guilt about it or think I could have done anything mm-hmm. differently. I was just literally trying to keep functioning and keep everyone upright and trying to just get through another day. And I can't believe all that I was able to do and things that I was, you know, able to show up for. But yeah, I mean, it is the trauma that I was going through and experiencing as a grieving mom. I mean, it reaped all kinds of long lasting heart effects on our family. And, sure. you know, I look at pictures of their sweet little faces before Jackson died and my heart just aches for them. You know, I just, mm-hmm. I want to go back and, and, you know, make it all um, come untrue. But, but I love your message of just, it's never too late. And there are practical things, right, that we can go back and, and work on and apologize for. And, and, you know, when we are in a better place, when we have focused on ourselves, when we have worked on the healing, our family will heal as well. And mm-hmm. um, I think sometimes we want to put our grief on the shelf, you know, just kind of put our trauma aside and help kind of micromanage and fix everything in our kids' lives. And it, that's really the backwards way to do it. We really need to it is. do it ourselves first. It, it is the backwards way because we can't help other people if, if we ourselves are in a dysregulated state and we're not doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not selfish yeah. to care for yourself because if, if, if God knows every hair on your head, if God knows you inside and out and loves you deeply, why do we get to the place that we think we don't matter? Right. 
Right. We matter so much to God. Mm-hmm. And when we do our work and we begin to partner with God and find somebody who can help journey us through what we're going through, um, the people around you, I tell women all the time, your family will thank you mm-hmm. when you've done this work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it's well worth it. It's hard. The journey of trying to heal from trauma, there's nothing easy about it. Sometimes they get a little excited, like, oh my goodness, I feel like this is going to be great. And I go, Ooh, I don't know, great. I don't know if I'd say great because mm-hmm. it's hard. Yeah. It's hard to do this work, but it's good. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. yeah. It's life changing, really. It is. It is. Well, let's mm-hmm. get to mm-hmm. joy. I mean, obviously, this podcast is called Fighting for Joy. Like you just said, doing the work is life changing. And part of the change mm-hmm. that we experience is restored and renewed joy. So mm-hmm. I would love for you to just share a little bit about your personal journey with this kind of as you think back on your story, both the trauma that you grew up with, as well as you know, the more recent breakdown from the DNA test. Um, I'm guessing that you struggled to find joy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. what has your fight for joy look like? And what have you learned about how to experience real joy? Where do you find joy now? Sure. Um, you know, one thing that I think is really interesting, I was during that season, I was on a walk and, um, I remember saying to the Lord, I have no joy. Hmm. I, I can't even find it. I don't even know where it's at. And joy is actually part of what it feels like to feel regulated. Right. When we mm-hmm. talked about that yeah. regulation state, that's where joy resides. Mm-hmm. Um, Now, understanding that I was in a state of dysregulation, of course, I couldn't feel joy. It makes sense to me now. I go, oh, that's because I was, I was in what they call a fight flight state. Mm -hmm. Um, I stayed in that state for almost a year. I could not get myself regulated. Um, So of course, I couldn't feel joy. Uh, But what I've learned along the way is putting in practical things that help me to be regulated. I still get dysregulated because I'm human. We never want to shut that off because Mm -hmm. it's a survival tactic, right? So um, when something happens and I get dysregulated, I do very practical things. Number one, I take care of myself, right? What am I eating? Um, Am I drinking water? Am I trying to, and I don't mean exercise like in a gym, but Mm -hmm. one of the things I love to do is put on worship music and go for a walk, Mm -hmm. Um, regardless of what's happening outside, because you know, uh, science will say has proven that being outside is so good for our mental health. Mm-hmm. Well, that's because the Lord created us not to be indoors 95% of our life, right? right. That's not, that was not the intention. We have this beautiful outdoors. There's something so regulating about being outside and feeling the weather or whatever that might be, warmth or cold to our bodies. Um, so for me, going for a walk and listening to worship music is one of my I love doing that. And it will regulate me every time, mm-hmm. regardless of what's happening. I've said I've walked my neighborhood crying more times than I care to tell you about. Yeah, my neighbors same. can vouch for that. But yeah, I, when I know when I know that's going to be the thing that helps me, I'm going to do it mm-hmm. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's trying to find things that help me to feel physically better mm-hmm. um, by going for a walk, by eating right, exercising, Mm-hmm. drinking my water, doing all of that stuff. It sounds silly, but it's, it's no. true. All, yeah. all three, right. Our spiritual, mental, physical health are all linked together. Yeah. Um, and of course now being in a state where I can read the scriptures and um, meditate on God's word and do Bible studies, all of those things are things that are helpful too. And so, 
you know, it's really about just taking care of ourselves mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. is how we can begin to heal our mental health and heal from our trauma. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful and so helpful. And that holistic way of looking at it is just, I'm understanding that more and more. The older that I get, the further along in my grief I get, the more people that I talk to about hard things. Um, yeah, looking at looking at ourselves and healing ourselves holistically is, is huge. Mm-hmm. It's very important. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of my listeners have gone through really hard things and, um, you know, I want to keep picking your brain and having you share, but we need to bring this episode to a close. So I want to give you a minute to just share any last thoughts you might have with my listeners and just things maybe you want people to know about healing for trauma from trauma. Mm -hmm. But before we get Mm -hmm. there, I just want them to know how they can connect with you because you do share a lot on Instagram. You have a lot of resources and tools about how trauma affects us and about the healing that is possible. So I definitely want to point people there to your page. Mm-hmm. Um, and what is it's uh, Teresa Glantz coaching? Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. Okay. Teresa Glantz coaching. I'm on both Instagram and Facebook. And okay. yeah, try to um, put out resources that are helpful for people um, to understand how trauma has impacted them. Um, I also, I teach some classes around trauma. I have a class for trauma survivors, mm-hmm. um, a six week class that they can, all the information is on my website, TeresaGlance.com. Okay, good. Um, yeah. And then I also do, um, a certification course for people who want to introduce trauma into their ministry or just into their life. Hmm. Um, and all from a biblical perspective. So, good. so yeah, I don't, I don't do a ton of one-on-one coaching, but I do have a group of Christian women who are coaches that um, have went through the same training program I have, and we work together. So I'm able to get people linked with a coach if they want to. So I love that. Great. Well, thank Mm -hmm. you. And yeah, I definitely encourage you listening to check those resources out. If you don't have a piece of paper near you, just uh, send me a message and I will point you that direction. But yeah, Teresa, what do you think that you would like to leave my listeners with today? Yeah, I mean, if I could leave them with anything, um, I want them to know that there is hope in, in whatever has happened to them. And I know that can feel really big, right? Whatever's happened to them. And in their mind, they're probably thinking, you have no idea what's happened to me. I've been doing this work for years, and I've heard horrific stories, mm-hmm. and I've seen God do miraculous things. Mm-hmm. Um, there is hope. God, it is not God's intention that we would live a life where we feel completely broken and we can heal from those things. It's hard work, but when you can link arms with somebody who understands trauma and can help walk you through that, it is the most amazing thing. And I just, if anything, I want to give them hope mm-hmm. and, and say, I get it. I know what it feels like to walk through a really dark season. Um, but God will continue to pursue you and walk with you through that. And there is hope that you can heal from it. That's beautiful. Thank you. And I knew mm-hmm. knew this hour would fly by. I knew it would be a really rich conversation. I know there are so many other things we could cover, but um, 
yeah, I just feel like I want to drive down to Indiana and have coffee with you <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I find love that. <laughs> to work together. But yes, to keep spreading hope, even in trauma. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love that we are both deep into the same online space of Christianity and hard things, because I think we need more of that out there. Yes. Um, but for today, I know that it's going to be very encouraging to have my listeners here. You and I have this conversation, two women who have walked through hard things and mm-hmm. are still clinging to hope and proclaiming yeah. that there is always hope. We're still making progress in our own grief and trauma we are still running to the lord and trusting in his goodness and love even with the trickle effects of all that we've walked through but Mm -hmm. yeah there is always hope and we can keep fighting for joy that's right thank you thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this i've loved just sharing my story with you and your listeners so thank you you're welcome well thank you thank you so much for listening today if you were helped or encouraged by this episode please share it with others. I would also love for you to find me on social media. You can connect with me and others who are listening on my Fighting for Joy podcast page on either Facebook or Instagram. You can also send me an email at fightingforjoypodcast at gmail.com. Podcasts have been such a lifeline for me in grief and one of the top ways that my soul is recharged and encouraged on a weekly basis. I truly hope that this podcast will do the same for you. Keep fighting for joy.